Sonic States. To Sonic Talk number 137. Uh, this will be going live on Thursday, the 9th of July. Obviously, we're recording it live now um, via sonicstate.com forward slash live, where if you haven't joined us before, um, please do uh, on future weeks, um, where there's a live chat room and a live stream, so you can actually um, get involved. And I do believe... Um, uh, Ratmouth, who uh, was the chap who I mentioned last week, um, ha- is is on the case, and we will be able to see transcripts of the chat rooms um, at some point in the future. So, uh, big shout out to him, and thank you very much for looking into this for us. Um, in in sort of the live and direct style, I've got uh, a couple of people with me. I think um, we'll be joining be joined by a couple of other people a bit later on. And uh, first, let me jump to the other side of the pond, see how I can do it with almost no latency, uh, and introduce uh, Rich Hilton. Good morning. Good morning. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius, a man who works on a regular daily basis in the studio with uh, Niall Rogers and various other luminaries. How are you? Uh, good. Real good, actually. Nice day right now. Is it? Oh, fine. Because last time yeah. we spoke, it was uh, a, a crap day. Well, said. it's it's been raining pretty much for the most of three weeks now, pretty much every day. It would remind you of England, actually. At some point during the day, it rains. Usually it pours. But uh, for the most part, it's pretty nice. People, people like to complain about the weather, but I'm not one of them. Ah, uh, well, you know, I'm, I am. I'm British. <laughs> I can't help it. Anyway, Rich, good to have you aboard. And um, let's go. Let's come zooming back to this side of the pond, uh, which is um, to to say hello to Dave Spears from GeForceSoftware.com, home of the fine software musical instruments. How are they coming along? Yeah. <laughs> are there more? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't that know. busy enough as it is, I'm sure. It's all busy, and it's all yes. Isn't summer supposed to be quiet? Yeah, but that's generally when we end up having a really intense period to try and get ready for the bit that's not so quiet. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. I feel the it does same seem way. To have it does seem to. Have. I, I guess we should be kind of thinking about um, having a couple of weeks off the podcast soon, and I, I just sort of suddenly thought, God, we're in July and we should be having a holiday. But, I will uh, be away actually next week. Oh, will you? Okay. Yeah. Rich, you going to go? You going away anywhere? Uh, yes. I. You will recall that a couple of months ago, I was in tropical paradise, scoping out a studio design. Ah. Well. Uh, Approximately 10 days from now, I will be heading back to Ooh. execute the said studio design with my friend Tim Glasgow, who, by the way, is also a regular listener to this podcast. Wow. Hi, Tim. I'm jealous. Tim's great. Brilliant. So you're heading off to um, the Caribbean. Is that was it, the Caribbean? Yeah, 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 about 10 days hence. And uh, hopefully I'll still be able to do a podcast from there. We'll see what happens. Oh, nice. Well, that'd be brilliant, yeah. We can have the parrots going in the background and the waves crashing on the shore and... Poolside. And cicadas and stuff. Pool, poolside. The gentle lapping and, and, and the odd slurp of a pina colada. Yeah, at this hour it might be vegetable juice, but... Ah, oh, well, what the hell. Make it pina colada coloured. <laughs> also on the line we have PJ Tracy, our Emmy-winning composer friend from uh, Minneapolis in the US. Um, good to have you back, PJ. Good morning. Good to be here. Cool. You were busy last week, I took it. You had a late one, another late session. I did. Yeah, I was up until quite early in the morning and then uh, had to be up again quite early in the morning for uh, 
meeting, so I need I needed a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I can do. I can understand that. Yeah. Well, great, great to have you back. Uh, PJTracy.com is where you need to find... Um, you can find out anything in PJ Tracyness there. And uh, I forgot to mention, I think, G4Software.com for all of that stuff and MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius. I think that's up for this week. Uh, Non-Eric um, rang, um, contacted me this morning to say that it was his wife's birthday and he's um, taking the day off. So uh, good on you, Non-Eric, and um, happy birthday to Mrs. Non-Eric. The first thing I wanted to play um, is I can actually play a little Sonic intro. So let's just uh, have that. That's a little bit of the introduction of the theme tune from uh, Terminator 4, Salvation, by Danny Elfman. And this was sent to me by Bartle Hogard, who is uh, a regular topic contributor to Sonic Talk, in which uh, which I should mention, um, if you feel there's something that you'd like us to cover, just send an email to sonictalk at sonicstate.com, and uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. But anyway, um, this was um, Danny Elfman, who has been apparently using Omnisphere extensively on the uh, the new uh, Terminator Salvation soundtrack. Um, and it just got me to the um, thinking about how secretive one would normally be, um, or one is, or one, you know, is one secretive when one discovers a kind of new thing that kind of gives you the edge, or do you tend to kind of blab and tell everybody about it? Uh, and is there any kind of merit to doing so or not? I guess PJ, you're kind of um, very much in the kind of composition world, and it might be about a particular sound that um, sometimes your briefs are after. I mean, do you try and keep this sort of stuff close to your chest, or are you quite happy to talk about it? Well, having never quite been on the edge, I think, I I don't know that that I have much to hide. But uh, I think... That was beautiful. That was a great statement. That was poetry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, have ha- you know? If I had something to hide, I don't think I would hide it. I'm just I'm just not that type of person. And uh, frankly, um, you know, for, where I come from, you you hear a lot of the same the same sound sets being used, um, sometimes uh, in new and creative ways, but often very similarly amongst composers. And uh, I don't think somebody like Danny Elfman is doing himself any harm by, especially somebody like Danny Elfman, who has a long and lauded career and, and uh, is an exceptional composer, has anything to, uh, to lose by telling everybody and anybody, anybody what he's using and uh, only stands to gain uh, many friends over at Spectrosonics by, uh, by touting their, uh, their fine software. And I would do the same thing. Do you think that um, there's any... So any situation where you might want to keep quiet about it for a bit, if you've kind of become, you know, if, if people are booking you because of that wonderful string sound or your piano sound or whatever it may be, you know, your, your little trick or tweak or other than, you know, other than, of course, just the, the raw talent of your compositional ability. See, I tend to think that 
that it really does come down to the talent because I think that almost everybody has access to these sounds. I mean, especially something like Omnisphere, it's kind of, it's become an ubiquitous tool. I mean, pe- people are, you know, bought it off the shelves as soon as it hit the streets. And so I think it's, but it's a very, very deep program. And I think it's basically, uh, how you use it as a composer, that that is why people hire you that. Mm. And the fact that you, you know, you get along and you're just a, you know, you're, you're a person that can, time travel and bring a client to, you know, complete a brief yesterday rather than tomorrow. Uh, that, that type of thing goes, goes a long way, but I think it's, yeah, I think it really is what you do with it and not the fact that it's any specific sound or tool. I think it's how you use them. That really counts in the end. I'm guessing that maybe in, in the kind of world of, uh, the cutthroat world of pop music and sort of hip hop production and R and B stuff, where it really is about the kind of the, the very much the now, maybe that's a bit more appropriate. I don't know. Rich, um, how do you feel about this, um, this kind of idea of maybe keeping things under your hat until you, until the moment has passed so that nobody can get the march on you? I think in the spirit of the love you make take is equal to the love you make. If you keep secrets, you'll learn nothing. Uh-huh. So uh, I trust in the idea that it's not the gear, it's me that makes me effective to the extent that I am effective. And so share freely. I'm quite the blabbermouth. And uh, look forward to learning others' ways of working as I go through life like that. Mm. So I think you get what you give. I think, yeah, okay. That's fair. Um, and, it is, and it's not the gear, and as I am fond of saying, after the house is built, nobody cares which hammer you used. No, I suppose. I mean, I think there's very much a, a, a sound of the moment, particularly, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in a lot of types of music, and maybe that's the... It's the, it's the, I guess the trick is to be the guy who's using, who's, who originates the sound of the moment rather than figuring out how to do right. it like somebody it, else. But it cuts to another artistic question, is, which is, to what extent do you look outside of yourself for your artistic inspiration? Like, of course, we all look outside of ourselves, but I mean to other people doing what we're doing. I, I am particularly, uh, I don't particularly like copying other people's records, for example. Right, okay. Though, though I can do it uh, probably pretty well. But um, it, it's not creative, that's not what makes it fun to me, is trying to be like somebody else. Yeah, it was precisely not having to do that that made one of the was one of the reasons I wanted to be a musician in the first place. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Dave Spears, yes, because you must have you must. I mean, when you're creating patches for some of your synths and what have you, do you sort of think, oh, I bet that one will fly. I bet that'll be a a favorite or whatever. Or do you does that constantly surprise you? Or is there is there a point at which you might sort of say, well, actually, I won't say anything about it until maybe this has been released. Uh, I wish I could. I'm rubbish at keeping secrets. <laughs> I'm always getting into trouble for blabbing. Um, no, I just get really excited. I mean, particularly, yeah, with patches and stuff like that. I mean, it's great to be able to fire them amongst the internal people and go, so what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And I do get a bit overexcited at times. Uh, so, yeah, maybe I should kind of keep a rein on it a little bit more than I do. But but the other half of my life when I'm working with other people, I have to be incredibly secretive about stuff. So yeah, I quite like the idea of kind of going, check this out. It's brilliant. I love this. I mean, in terms of sort of tricks and stuff like that, 
I mean, really, what PJ and Rich said is 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 completely on the money. But that's, that's a good point because I mean, if we're working for other people and we're sort of working on ways and we get a really cool sound or something, do you feel that you shouldn't tell anybody? Then is that and why oh, why yeah. why do you feel that? Is, uh, it, is it an unwritten rule or? I think it is really. It's not. So, say for example, if I do sound design for a famous composer or an artist or something like that really he stands to get the kudos from that and i shouldn't kind of stand in the way there's an awful lot of people kind of prepared to put their hands up and go yeah yeah but i did that and i think in in that sense it's some um, a discretion always keeps you working yes yep that's yeah, a good, i would, I would that's like to, i'd like to amend my answer to say also what dave's just saying which is as it relates to with whom i'm working or on what i'm working i tend to be very secretive because it keeps me in work but I mean, that's what I, I guess that's my point about this whole topic was, you know, so if it's, is it, so therefore it must be necessary to keep sort of certain things under wraps or is it just something that you feel you should do? And if so, why? No, no. no. I mean, if I, if I say to you, I worked on a session yesterday where we took, you know, a big bag of sand and pounded a microphone into it and made all these samples and put together a piece like Diego Stocco has done, obviously. Yeah. If I said to you I'd done that, that would represent my enthusiasm for the process. But if I said I had done it on, you know, so-and-so's album produced by such-and-such, you know, which, you know, and started uh, revealing details of their work that they might not want revealed, Mm. that part of it I'd be discreet about. So that's how I draw the line. Okay. It's funny. uh, Somebody uh, who's fairly famous said to me about people that he knows posting on their forum, their particular band's forum. And he said, you know, the problem is, is it's not the people who post there that you have to worry about. It's the ones who don't, who will dissect every ounce of information. And they're the ones who usually turn into stalkers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Fair enough. Uh, And Nick, I'd like to address this a little further as well. I mean, I think your point is relative or relevant rather. And, and relative to me, it's relevant in that, um, as as I do what I do, uh, currently I'm putting together a big uh, a big package of um, uh, demo for a video game developer. Yeah, and I have to be very aware of what some of the current sounds are and and what's happening in in that environment and how to recreate them and and make them you know part of my own palette of sounds. And it's not always something that I want to do, although I I do always relish the challenge of trying to you know trying to figure out what what people are doing and how they're doing it. Uh, it's it's not always something that I you know that I find immediately creatively satisfying to to take those and work them into my own work. But it it, it is something that has to be done in order to sort of bridge a gap. Um, especially if you're going to be talking to somebody that isn't isn't musically savvy or, or isn't isn't as involved in the process, and they just want to hear what they know. Yeah. So, Nick, do, do you think that Danny Elfman kind of overstepped the mark a little bit on this? Well, I, I guess not really. No, but it just it, it made me think. Because, I mean, because he's he, he's never going to affect his ability to get work because he's Danny Elfman, and Danny Elfman is a really big composer who you know who's known for his music rather than his sounds okay but it it did raise the question that made me think you know because obviously there's lots of people who are more about the sounds particularly in pop music production which is or dance music which is about the sounds and what you get and how you maybe keep that edge like somebody you know somebody who uses a particular kind of bass sound or a particular synth to get all of those you know a, a feature of their sound yeah 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 
so I think in that sense, it is important um, because it might keep the edge, you know, particularly if you're working on Because an album production is takes a certain amount of time to work on it. And it's like releasing... It's like when the songs or stuff gets leaked to the public before the release date and everybody's listening to tunes and it sort of ends up being... The sound is unveiled before it's before it's ready to be promoted, and there may be an issue with that because it doesn't have the same impact. I mean, I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. I mean, I found this article quite interesting, and I am a big Danny Elfman fan. But I like the fact. I mean, the one thing that he revealed, which I thought great, is that he takes those presets and edits them. Yeah. Well, that I I wasn't sure whether or not he was editing them because isn't there some sort of variation generator? Uh, well, he says it's very easy to program your own custom sound. So right. I just naturally assumed that that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, there, there isn't like a one button variation generator in in Omnisphere. You okay. actually you, you have actually, to actually work at it. <laughs> yeah, but it isn't very difficult to work at. It's a it's a very friendly environment. Well, anyway, that, I just thought it threw up a, a, an interesting point. Uh, um, apparently, Danny Elfman uses Digital Performer. Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. That was cool. Another little nugget. It's actually quite a short interview. There's not a whole bunch of stuff there, but I thought it threw up something else that was of interest. Okay, well, um, let's move on to... uh, Ooh, let's have a look. I I might do an ad, actually, because then I've got it out of the way and I don't have to worry about it, because I always end up, when we start a topic, and I think, oh, this could be quite long, I get worried that it's going to be too far into the programme, you see. So anyway, that, that's, that's not information that you really need to know. <laughs> In the meantime, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to have another go at my live ad, because I, I didn't get it right last week. So at this point, I'd like to say welcome and thank you to our sponsors, uh, Roland.co.uk, who uh, would like to bring your attention to the Juno DI, which is, this is actually one of the demo tracks from Juno DI, which is called Takedown. It's song four. Anyway, the Juno DI is a mobile synthesizer with over a thousand onboard sounds derived from the Phantom G. I heard it at Limbs and I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, it did actually sound pretty good. And in fact, um, we hopefully, I, mean, I was hoping it would arrive today, we're going to get one in for review. So uh, hopefully that will hurry up and come in and we can get a bit more in-depth. It's a friendly, simple, intuitive user interface, battery operations for mobile. It's, uh, it takes AA batteries, uh, plays back MP3s, WAVs, AIFFs and SMF playback, uh, playback capability via the optional USB memory, which is perfect for backing tracks when performing live and doing a kind of show solo. There's also a microphone input with a dedicated reverb and vocoder effects and PC Mac editor software included and if you buy it at least on the um, Roland UK site there is a three year warranty that comes with the keyboard which is quite unusual and pretty cool actually um, always nice to have that additional safety net so roland.co.uk check out the Juno DI and we'd like to say thank you very much to them once again for their continued sponsorship of the show hey I think I nailed it that was good. Hey! It's <laughs> my first live ad with a package. Hey, I'm obviously getting good at this. I will start hiring myself out for voiceovers. <laughs> in, a, in a world where synthesizers... <laughs> anyway. No, but thanks. Really, really do appreciate that uh, we've got sort of long-term sponsors. It really helps us kind of plan for the show and make sure that we can still keep going. <laughs>
that's the sound of Native Instruments Massive. Um, a couple of nice uh, sound clips there, which is um, part of the complete package, which um, is basically everything they make, which is Contact 3, Guitar Rig 3, Massive, Reactor 5, Absinthe 4, Battery 3, Acoustic Piano, Electric Piano, B4 2, FM 8, and Pro 5 3. That's uh, the bundle that they're doing, and they're actually doing it for uh, $399. And it's, uh, is it complete insanity rich? You pointed me at this, which seems like a bit of a bargain. Oh boy, does it. I was a bit flabbergasted because normally it's about a grand, isn't it? Uh, I believe more on the order of thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars. Woo! There's a um, deal. And I thought when I got mine for whatever six or seven hundred bucks, I was getting a deal back when, when they, I don't remember why, but they were blowing them out at one point. But four hundred dollars for this thing is insane because it's just so much software. And it makes me wonder, the reason why I sent it to you is because it makes me wonder if uh, they're just about perhaps to they're everything. taking shorter lunch hours over at Native Instruments these days. Well, or maybe they're just about to release a whole bunch of new instruments and updates. And uh, so that in the same way, I think that Arturio are doing a similar thing where they're just selling all their stuff, old stock, 50% off current instruments um, before the new versions come out. But they're really upfront about that, which is uh, unusual. Yeah, but that was, what, two years ago? And I've still not seen very many new instruments from them. Well, that is, yeah, okay. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. Whereas native instruments are quite likely to continue to produce things. I can't really say what kinds of things, but they're quite likely to. And I don't really know anybody over at native instruments, but I just thought that this perhaps was a harbinger of either really bad news or, as you say, new product. Well, if you go onto the site and you check it out, because um, uh, I was looking through and I just it says on the thing, uh, we've basically sold out of everything. Um, so, you know, there will be a bit of a delay shipping this. So it's obviously going pretty well, but it's it's a sort of standard summer thing, isn't it? The months of July and August, there seem to be a lot of uh, deals on at the moment. There's IKEA doing a big bundle, like I say, Artoria. Waves have uh, launched their rental plan, which is sort of like a sale, but um, not, not quite the same sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it seems like a deal. Uh, although I was a bit disappointed that it's in fact also 399 euros and... There's a UK price, which I think is a bit higher as well. I didn't check that out, but it, it, it seems like we're the US side is getting a better deal than anybody else. Yeah, it does. Because I think it was the same number of euros as, or was it pounds? No, I think it was euros. Yeah. So I think it was the same number of euros, and it's more than a dollar to the euro these days. So. <laughs> anyway, um, I like the look of it. Uh, Dave, what do you think? What, what do you think is going on? Do you think this is, uh, I mean, it's obviously a brilliant deal. Uh, they announced yesterday that they will no longer maintain a booth presence at industry trade shows such as NAM, Music Mesa, or AES in the future. The company uh -huh. has decided instead to prioritise online communication channels to engage with customers directly uh, and to allocate budgets accordingly, uh -huh. which I thought was very, very interesting. I think that I, I, that sounds eminently sensible. I mean, one could see it as a sort of, oh, no, it's all going down the toilet but i think it's actually kind of if you get your communications together then um great yeah and then new site new site's good yeah. isn't it yeah it is good i mean if they're doing being able to do that i mean doing the trade shows has got to cut off a, a lot of a lot of budget on your outlay yeah yeah, yeah yeah I mean, and I mean doing a deal like this you're going to boost your database massively i would have thought well i'm just thinking you know i've got a couple of these things but i mean it's almost even if you're missing just sort of reactor and absinthe say maybe three of the eleven I mean, Jesus, for three nine nine, you may as well just buy the whole lot, you know, upgrade to the whole to the whole kit and caboodle. Because I mean, it's so much cheaper than buying them all individually. 
Well, right. And when I did it, I owned some of their stuff. And what I did was I, you can deauthorize it on their website. And then I believe you can sell it to somebody who can then reauthorize it. All right. I could be wrong about that. And I wouldn't say that that is Native Instruments stated policy, but it's what I did. So if they want to come and talk to me about it, they're welcome. Mm. Uh, one, thing, one thing that somebody says about the design of the Native Instruments site, which is actually really good, but um, it's all Flash-based, which means you can't view it on uh, mobile devices, which may or may not be a good thing, seeing as um, the u- mobile usage uh, is going up in the thousands of percent a month at the moment of the internet. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. But and a good ca- one. You can't miss it. So, Dave, you having a sale this summer? uh yeah <laughs> no no uh we did it a while ago we did a bundle a while ago and uh it was good it worked really well um but i, I don't like doing this kind of every five minutes it tends to um drive up the emails from regular users going yeah well that's the problem any for any of these yeah. things it's like hold on i bought this last week How, uh, at full price or you know at a lot more than this how do you mm. handle that kind of thing uh which is why we don't generally do um big deals and you know not regularly like i say we did a retro pack thing uh probably a couple of years ago and actually it went brilliantly but even then with everything i forget what the price was um chris does money i do creating and uh but i seem to remember getting a couple of emails from people saying that you know one store in particular had massively discounted it as well and i think it worked out something like 50 bucks an instrument and, and me personally i was thinking that's too cheap that's God damn a it. lot of support. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's up. Yeah, for, that's true. For fifty bucks, and we wouldn't even get that, you know. Right, and you drive the le- your value of your own product down by doing something yep. like that. Yep. Chris, Chris is yeah. Chris is very um, fastidious about that. Actually, he's like, no, we do stuff at what we think is a very good price. Um, that's, that's you know, we're not we're not kind of stinking rich or wealthy or anything like that. But we do what we love, and uh, we just like to be able to continue. Yeah, uh-huh. which is a, a, a good philosophy. Yeah, which uh, kind of leads rather nicely into this next piece. Uh, I'll just play the introduction for it. Hi, everybody. We're here with Moby, and we're going to ask him some questions about his new album. It's called "Wait for Me." Hi, Moby. What have you been up to since you made your last album, which was called "Last Night"? Well, when I finished making the last album, uh, I was doing a lot of DJing, and I went on tour and played quite a lot of festivals. But really, I've just been spending most of my time working on this new album. You know, I've been home in New York, where I have my studio. Where did you make your new album, and how did you approach the recording and mixing? Well, I made the album at home in my studio. I have a a two-bedroom apartment, and I sleep in the small bedroom, and I have the larger bedroom as my studio. Uh, I really do like working at home, because that way I'm never worried about how much it's going to cost or having other people around. So, yeah, in general, I really like making records at home. And so on and so forth. That's quite an interesting... um sort of developed a new persona called the little idiot uh, Moby has, which is, uh, and that's him being interviewed by um, what looked like a dog um, <laughs> in cartoon form, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, he likes to do things his own way. And it, it, it was, um, 
I don't know. What did you, what did you think? It was quite an interesting interview, actually. And I, I'd like to know what mic he's using, because I really like the sound of those vocals. What do you think it was, it was Rich? Uh, so- I couldn't get that video to play on my uh, horse and buggy G4 Mac Mini, so I didn't get to see it. Uh, no. And I can't very well comment on it. Oh, well, well, the gist of it, what, well, you heard, the gist of it was kind of... Um, what we were just hearing there, that he was talking about um, basically um, doing his own, going back to the homegrown approach and working with people that he that he knew rather than pop stars. And he's sort of, he's kind of, he seems to be going back to this sort of um, uh, cottage industry vibe. Although, you know, he must be obviously very, very wealthy man after the success of Play and all of the, the syncs it got. Well, I know he got a lot of criticism for it. But it looks quite nice, and I've listened to some of the album, because you can hear that there's uh, five tracks that you can preview on uh, on his site, and they all sound, they do sound quite nice, actually. They've got a certain... He says they're quite melancholy, and I said I would agree. I know, PJ, hmm. what do you think? Uh, did you get I thought it? Yeah, I did. I thought it was an interesting concept, this uh, uh, cartoon interview he did. I, I like the I liked the visuals and the little jokes that he threw in and made kind of the, the old uh, standard stated interview more interesting to uh, to watch and and listen to. And uh, I like I like the tunes. I'm, I, yeah, um, I think I have two questions about Moby currently. One is that he seemed to insinuate that he hadn't been recording albums at home. And I don't know whether or not that, that is the case per se, but I do remember reading um, several interviews with him in the past. And this would have been years ago where he was always working at home. And so it, it maybe he took a hiatus and, and left home and went to some bigger studios to produce his last couple albums and now has returned. Mm, but it, it did sound he, like a reaction, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And then the other is that he seems to insinuate that he was born and raised and has lived in New York his entire life. How does a guy that have do- that has done that have a flat Midwest Midwestern accent? I thought he was Canadian. No, he Doesn't said he, say he was born moose and moose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he sounds like he's from down the street uh, here. He sounds he sounds like he's from where I from where I live, but uh, what are you he, trying to say? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why he's. Uh, yeah, maybe he's. Maybe it's part of the little idiot persona that he's kind of created for himself. Uh, he, maybe he did pause. I was, yeah. you know, and I think I got. A, I think the bloke who was doing the interviewing and him are the same one and the same person. He sounded like it was him with putting a voice on and slowed his voice down a little bit. That's what it says in the final credits that oh, he does, does all. The- yeah. <laughs> hey, that just shows how perceptive I am. What there my golden ears managed to pick up. Yeah. <laughs> Phew. High <laughs> <I> marks. <laughs> it did sound really nice though dave are you on a moby fan does he use any of your stuff uh i don't know is the honest answer i don't uh no i don't know anything i don't know much about him other than that i heard every single track played on every single advert from that other album um but it strikes me as quite cool yeah quite it's like a nice... you put on your uh, on a twitter thing about him uh giving away music and stuff but i didn't investigate that yeah, I think you by? can download his... The, I can't remember the name of the track now, but there's a free download of one of them. And he's sort of just giving it away. I mean, I'm sure he, he's still signed to a major label, or at least a li- sub-licensed. I'm not sure what his... Uh, I think his... I uh, can't remember what the label's called. I should have honestly done a little bit more research on that. But there you go. That's the way it is. Um, he says he's uh, releasing on his own label called Little Idiot, but I don't right. know who's uh, who's distributing. Who's behind. Him. Yeah. 
I know he's on tour at the moment. In fact, I was just having a conversation, email conversation with the lighting designer called Dan, who because uh, we're trying to hook up with one of the crew to sort of come in on the show and uh, tell us what's going on. Dan is currently in Estonia. And uh, he was sort of saying, but I'm the lighting designer. I'm not sure that you want to talk to me. And I said, no, no, it'd be great. But he, he was just off to the gym. They're going to do a show there tonight. So they're actually on the road at the moment. And uh, hopefully next week we might be able to get uh, one of them to, to, you know, one of the guys of the crew to come in and just sort of tell us what's going on and how the tour's going. Because that'd be kind of cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. But then again, we might not. <laughs> These things are so uh, mercurial, aren't they? You know, things crop up and stuff has to be dealt with. And, you know, it's always hard to schedule that kind of stuff unless it's in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning. But uh, but anyway. I was just going to mention that David Lynch did a video for him um, for this record that's mentioned in the interview. And uh, just an aside, it seems like David Lynch might be getting into doing more music videos as of late. Isn't that he where just... he started out? Didn't he start, did he? Out, didn't he start out doing music videos? Or was it advertising? Oh, Oh, I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, I just Maybe know I that he did something director. for uh, Danger Mouse okay. recently. He did. He's got a, a new record out. All uh, right, right, right. Interesting. Well, in fact, David Lynch is uh, apparently the inspiration of this whole record, uh, according to Moby in his press release. Said he heard David Lynch speak at the BAFTA Awards in February two thousand and eight, uh, where he had an epiphany. Uh, Lynch's message, uh, which was creative creativity for its own sake is a beautiful, wonderful thing, was a simple one, but it hit Moby with the force of the Zen master's cane. Yes, they've had some PR writers on this, haven't they? At that moment, I decided just to, to make records that were more personal, says Moby. Maybe more experimental and a little more challenging, maybe not so easy to like, but things that I found to be artistically and creatively more satisfying. That was the idea behind making the new album. Hey, that's a... Cool. Which is all you can ask if you're going to be creative, really, is, like, you know, free yourself up. Yeah, very good. Okay. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I get to play this. Now, for some reason, that song is just absolutely stuck in my head. I, I remember it from years ago, and <laughs> I hadn't heard it for, for years and years. And yeah. I, I must admit, I expected it to be a bit rawer than that when I came back to listen to it, because all I could remember was the melody, and it was it was in the sort of new wave punk era. Anyway, that was Cheap Trick, and uh, I Want You To Want Me, I think. I is love that, what that it? stuff. It's a great song. I mean, it's not very electronic or or anything, but... The fact is, they've just released an album uh, on eight-track cassette, which I think is is one of those sort of totally bonkers ideas that only people who, um, I don't know whether they're desperate for record sales or just sick of doing it in the normal way, would, would do. And... Um, Basically, they have a problem, you know, in a lot of a lot of, of the old rockers, who's like 60-odd now, the band, 
that a lot of them are having problem getting played on uh, most stations. So they just said, well, we figured if we if we just made one of these, if a bunch of these stations weren't going to play anyway, we'd send them something that would be a nice conversation pace, explains Dave Frey, the group's manager. The 8-track is something that will sit on a desk for a while and attract some attention. And apparently the whole the, the hardest thing about the, all of this was um, finding someone to make it for them. Apparently there's a place in Texas that uh, they managed to get them to make them. They cost about 30 bucks each, so it's not cheap, but I imagine it'd be quite collectible. I never had an 8-track cassette player. Was there anything good about them were they better than quarter inch is there something kind of specifically good about the format why are they called eight tracks is it because they got eight tracks or because they only fit eight tracks uh it's called eight tracks because it is literally eight separate tracks banded across a quarter inch piece of tape that runs at three and three quarter ips right and it runs as four stereo pairs okay and the head stack switches between pairs as you move from tracks, you know, from the four different supplied uh, storage areas. I don't know if they call them tracks or what they call them, but intri- uh, it's time for some old guy music. Uh, one of the first jobs I got in the recording business was working at a tape mastering facility, which would receive two track master tapes from the record companies and generate uh, and manufacture cassette and eight track cartridge tapes okay uh from those and i was a mass a tape mastering engineer and it was my job to do the eight track tapes and make the running masters and uh which would then get fed onto a high speed duplicator and uh which would run off whatever twenty thousand before you had to make another one or however many all right um, so actually I know quite a bit about eight track tapes and no, how that's they're great. made. I don't know. <laughs> Dave, is it, is, am I, am I, th- am I right in thinking they weren't really that big in the UK or was it just perhaps a bit before my time or I'm not quite sure why I don't know. My, I have never seen an eight track recorder, pl- a player. Might be a bit before your time. Uh, um, I remember seeing one in, in fact, fairly recently I went to look at a, an old vintage car and it had an eight-track player in it still, oh, cool. which I thought was kind of awesome. In fact, this has given me an idea. I think we're going to release a synth on a high-density floppy drive. There you go. Um, <laughs> 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 knowing full well that virtually no computer now has a floppy drive. Um, but no, I, I always thought they were really intriguing. I remember I was on, in France on some exchange trip, and uh, I was completely obsessed with Songs in the Key of Life. It had just come out. And the guy had... Uh, like this super hi-fi thing i th- think it was like quadraphonic and stuff like that and was rich was there because i remember slotting this thing in and kind of playing it and then you could push a button and you'd be somewhere else on the tape yes yes yep. because the the sum total of the record the reason you have eight tracks is because you have four stereo pairs running simultaneously across the eight tracks uh it may even be forward. No, it's all forward. It's not forward and back. It's all forward. And, um, you know, where, whereas the cassette, it's a four-track format, and two of the tracks go one direction, and two of the tracks go the other direction, and it runs at half the speed and different thing. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, when you push the button, it physically moves the head stack down to the next pair of tracks. Ah. Now, the interesting thing to know about this is when Peter Gabriel's album showed up in my room, I have to resequence some guy who's making less than 10 bucks an hour <laughs> is going to take his work of art and resequence the songs so that they properly fit 
In other yeah. words, most closely match the timing lengths uh, across four <laughs> groupings of songs. Wow. And, and the original intent be damned, as far as these people are concerned. Wow. Yeah, That's but brilliant. Rich, is, is, isn't it that because if you don't do that, uh, it's going to cut off right in the middle of a song? Yeah, well, or when you switch tracks, as Dave just suggested, at the There'll end of the song, there. and another track has ended previously, there's nothing there. Exactly. You have yeah. silence. Yeah. So, no, the there's a mechanically driven reason why they do it that way. But as it applies to the artist's original artwork intent, and back then an album was an album. It wasn't 99 cents a song off of iTunes. It was like an actual conceptualized whole in many cases. And if it didn't start out to be, it ended up to be. So hold on, hold on. How does this, if it only goes in one direction and all the tracks are on one thing, how do you, how does it play sequentially? All the tracks aren't in one thing. You have four stereo pairs across eight tracks. Sure. So, but if, and if the it's head one is run, playing two of them at a time. Yeah. So when, when you get you, to the end of the tape, it automatically switches the head down to the next pair of tracks. Oh, it's in a loop. Oh, uh, it plays somehow in a loop. Ah, uh, okay, right, right. Uh, uh, okay. This is how it looped like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. very much like the Birotron. I think the Birotron used a similar cartridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was eight track cartridge. Well, that um, is cool. So that, but I mean, I'm just and thinking, running at three and three quarter IPS, mind you. I'm just thinking on a quarter inch tape. So ideally, you know, in some sort of bizarre non mechanical world theory, it should sound better. But the fact, of course, that you're bouncing the head around all the time against some sort of s crappy spring-loaded mechanism, you know, like, forget about head alignment, azimuth, you know, you, you look up on, I mean, you get what you get. Yeah, yeah, you look up, and you used to get crosstalk, and it used to be if you'd press on one edge of the actual cartridge that stuck out of the dashboard, you could create the crosstalk. You could get mash-up. <laughs> well, it sounds yeah. like there's all sorts of potential there for some kind of pretty cool... I'm trying Stuff to remember happening. if it ran forward and back or if it ran if it ran if it ran one direction. So one of the problems with the Byrotron is that it was really noisy because the tapes constantly ran. Was this a, was this the same with the kind of domestic? No, well the the, the, mecha the mechanisms themselves were somewhat noisy, but I don't know if it's when you say it always ran. If you're playing it, it runs. Whereas in a Byrotron, you got you know whatever twenty four or thirty six of them, and they're running because every time you press a key, something should happen. Yeah. Whereas in the case of playing home entertainment, you stick the thing in, you expect to hear something. It should run for as long as it's in there yep. until you eject it. Well, it sounds like somebody needed to make it's an, only one of an eight track cassette version of a mechanical Mellotron. Which is exactly what the Byrotron was. That's what the Byrotron tried to do. But but as Dave points out, they had to run like 24 motors to keep, to keep them uh, all. Yeah, so or, one, or either that or one massive motor with a whole ton of belts on it. Or so those quiet passages just didn't come across quite so well. And, uh, I, one supposes. Oh, man, that's brilliant. I never knew. I, 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 definitely, I, kind of like, I like the idea of 8-track. I think it's a, cr a really cool idea. Well, if you don't mind my going like one step further into this process, oh, what please. I would have to do after I would gather four relatively equally length portions of this guy's album <laughs> is I would, I would make do a, a, a two track duplicate and feed it onto four Panasonic uh, open loop uh, uh, two track recorder players. Yeah. You'd sync them up according to some tone you've printed at the beginning of the thing manually. And then you'd run it. I had an MCI, uh, 
one-inch eight-track machine across the room, and you put that thing into record, and on one button, you'd throw all four two-track machines into play. And you'd create the running master in one pass, playing four stereo programs into an eight-track machine simultaneously, properly bust, and you'd, you'd be able to check, spot check, individual pairs, but never all of it. You wouldn't have a real-time... Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds very sort of laissez-faire way of creating a final <laughs> master, doesn't it? Yeah, they'll all be fine. Yep, see, that bit's fine. So, therefore, the rest of it will be fine. The, the part I find most laissez-faire is taking a person's work of art and, you know, <laughs> chopping the head off and putting it between its legs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, screwing up somebody's concept album. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> there was another piece. Uh, we had a news item a couple of uh, last week sometime um, of, I think it was Tonto. I think I found it. Um, Tonto's expanding headband. Somebody had found an original eight track, still shrunk wrap. And that they, they just had a video of them unwrapping it. Sticking wow. it into an eight-track player and playing it for the first time, and then you know they obviously got a car boot sale or you know some a remainder store or something, and you know I guess that would have been sort of fairly concept, but uh, not after it had been rich. You may have even mastered it. You never know. Which one is that? Uh, it was Tonto's expanding headband. I forget the name of the album. No, I didn't master any Tonto's expanding <laughs> headband. I did do a Peter Gabriel album, and I did do a whole lot of gospel music, and it was funny because I'd get there at eight in the morning, and they'd walk by my mastering lab, and I'd be in there dancing to this gospel music, and they all thought I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, and at the time, I had, like, lots of long hair, and I looked like a real hippie and everything. It just completely must have freaked And they were all really straight-laced and everything. They must have freaked them out. Cool. Uh, that's a gr- I'm, I'm really glad we brought that up, because I now know more about the 8-track format than I'd, I'd ever thought was possible. But thank or you very much. needed to. No, no. I, I really, I'm all really <laughs> yeah, interested. Um, but it's time for one more ad, and it's the last one in our series of two. Uh, and this is for loopmasters.com, who are the number one sample website and CD distributor dedicated to bring you the most inspirational collections of royalty-free sounds and samples from some of the top producers worldwide. They got lots of everything. They got down tempo, chill out, dance, breaks, trance, techno, and drum and bass, sound effects, all that sort of stuff. And in fact, um, if you need to check them out, go to loopmasters.com. But if you want to get hold of the freebie collection, we've got a 60 megabyte collection of 52 free hits and sweeps from the Wave Alchemy sound effects collection. It's uh, pretty new, actually. Um, all you have to do is send an email to freestuff at sonicstate.com and follow the instructions. And also check out their podcast, uh, video podcast on looptv.net. They've got a lot of good stuff there. So anyway, if you want the free stuff, email freestuff at sonicstate.com and follow the instructions. Thank you very much once again to loopmasters.com. Really uh, suggest you go and check them out. They're releasing all sorts of stuff really fast, really... Um, there's just tons of it. It seems to be a summer of loops from loopmasters.com. Hey, maybe they, they could use that. Our last topic, uh, it might be a little bit quick, was Windows 7 then. It looks like this is just around mm. the corner, isn't it, Windows 7? And um, I'm guessing that uh, there's still a few things to iron out. In fact, I found uh, there's a, a hardware forum called Tom's Hardware Forum, and it goes like this, this discussion. Chooch. Hi, where can I find this list of uh, drivers? If it works in Vista, it'll work in 7. Chooch. Why? There are, there are new Windows 7 drivers for my X5 card, which is a creative's card. Scott EQ. Then use the optimized drivers. When those aren't available or don't work well, you may use the corresponding Vista drivers. Chooch. But the Vista drivers don't work. Oh, the drivers should work, but maybe it goes on and on and on. So I'm guessing there's a whole world of pain and confusion coming along. Or is there? I mean, Dave, <laughs> you must be 
<laughs> kind of on you must be having some exposure to this being a a developer as in, in that true sense are you finding that windows 7 is on the radar yet or are you just trying to ignore it and get on with stuff without thinking about it too much the latter <laughs> 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 Uh, no, I don't really want to depress people too much around here. And uh, yes, so um, I've looked at it, uh, not on my computer, but I've been kind of keeping up, keeping abreast of certain things. And um, that's about as far as we've got, I'm afraid. Right. Well, uh, I did find manage to find out something. Apparently, Ableton Live appears to be working, according to some forum posts I've seen. Apparently, also, uh, Windows 7 is... Uh, uses wave real-time drivers which some door uh, manufacturers are are supporting Uh, motu um, offer drivers for uh, motu wave drivers for for their uh, firewire and usb devices apparently gives you lower usb latency Um, but you need a compatible host app to take advantage of it one of those apps is in fact sonar um as you'd imagine they're kind of doing okay i think if you had stuff working on vista windows 7 should be compatible but i don't know i mean this is a whole new i mean we i don't run any uh, any any vista stuff i mean the machines that we've got here are xp still um service pack 2 which seem to work fine and I, i'm guessing there's going to be a com- pretty compelling reason to have to upgrade but people who are buying new computers are probably not going to get much choice so there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes driver writing and compatibility checking going on uh, um pj you're a you're a windows guy are you kind of thinking that you're going to have to jump or are you still in the xp camp well for now i'm in the xp camp um like you service pack 2 uh but i think once they iron everything out with windows 7 i'll probably that that'll be the time that i upgrade because the uh, the obvious benefit to upgrading would be the 64-bit um uh, environment and the ram addressing you know being able to address as much ram as you can basically yeah. stick in the machine um and that would be fantastic i have a friend that writes for pc world uh, magazine who has been beta testing Windows 7 and he doesn't do a lot on the Windows side of things with audio but he said that everything he's tried so far has worked flawlessly. Yeah, I've heard and, I've heard from non-music people that uh, Windows 7 is supposed to be pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, and he's yeah, and he said that Windows 7 is everything Vista should have been is is his contention. So I I don't know exactly what he means by that because I I didn't have a chance to really pick his brain on it hmm. before the before the program but uh um, I, I guess they've ironed out some of the security issues that get in the way with, with certain applications and, and it's not quite as bloated as Vista. I mean, the thing that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, right. Windows XP service pack two. When was that? Probably. What, what was that? 2001, 2002, 2003, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I was, I was on the Mac platform at that time, but I'm so. just thinking, you know, I, I, I mean, we're talking about running, uh, you know, current audio production systems on this stuff. The only th- the only way that we feel comfortable for a lot of people, anyway, is yep. running an a, an operating system that is more than five years old or about five years old. That is just mental, isn't it? I mean, that just seems crazy. I mean, if if it was on a Mac or any other one, we'd just be going, "This is a joke, right?" I mean, I know people who do that on Macs. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose, I suppose that works. I mean, if you're staying current, but I mean, these people who still are are using current plugins and current things, I mean, I guess the thing is that because Windows XP will still run current VSTs and um, uh, I guess, is is it Artas a Windows thing too? What have you? Yep, 
Our test what? is a Windows thing. That that is yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that I've heard, I was reading in uh, PC Pro magazine that uh, they're in fact going to be including a virtual install of XP. So if you buy Windows 7, I don't know whichever flavor, you know, whether it's Pro or Business or whatever they come in, you're also going to get a virtual machine that's an XP machine. So you can run mm-hmm. XP software in virtualization from within the OS. Yeah, but why would, I... you ne- why would you need that? I mean, Because uh, it's not that... compatible with, with, with Windows oh, 7. but... But almost everything that runs inside of XP runs inside of Vista. I mean, I think with with very few exceptions. And so what, I don't understand what the draw would be. Given that the code is essentially the same for Windows 7 and Vista, everything should be backwards compatible. That's what it says in the manual. But uh, Uh, Microsoft is usually very good at backwards compatibility. Yeah. Well, that, that, yeah, okay, that, that's a good point. I mean, not, not so on, in the Mac world. I mean, that's why presumably we all have to upgrade. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm on the current operating system, but only because I bought a new Mac. I mean, previous to that, I was on 10.4.9, I think, and I didn't want to go any higher. Right. So there, are some, yeah. you know, there are some iterations that break things and cause problems, as Dave, I'm sure you're very aware of. But um, yeah. do you think this is going to be a whole world of fun? Because presumably when this comes out, all the new machines and all the people who are kind of getting into computer music for the first time are going to be on Windows 7. I mean, you, Dave, you're a developer. You have... You know, you've been through this cycle before. I mean, is it a massive workload or is it just kind of, you know, is there no easy way to do this? Uh, probably. I mean, I, I suspect most of the work, you know, will be for people who write drivers and whatnot. Um, for us, I suspect it will be relatively simple-ish, in inverted commas, tweaks. Um, so it's. Not, I don't think it will be that much of a headache for us. Mm. Rich, you're not, you're not, you're, you know, most of your pro stuff is happening in Mac world anyway, but I mean, you know, you've got some PC type applications you run as well. Do I do. You, do uh, are you, are you being exposed to Windows 7 yet? Or can you, do you know anyone has or anyone? You I've know? seen mention of it on various beta lists I'm on. People, uh, I just saw messages today about, wow, you got the 64 bit to work? I couldn't get it. What did you do? You had to do this and that and the other thing. Um, I have Vista. Uh, at the studio, I have XP on other computers that around me, and I run music software on them, not on a daily basis and not generally as part of making my living, but because it's there and some of it's really good. And I've even done a mastering job in, in PC world uh, using Sony uh, software. So I'm interested in this, and I'm interested to see how well they do with it. Uh, I think a couple of other pertinent things that have come to mind as I've been listening to you guys discuss it is... I saw an announcement today that Google is going to release an operating system uh, for Intel PCs based on their Chrome browser concept. Interesting. And uh, in particular, I think for the smaller portable devices, they're interested in competing with Microsoft and the operating system. And I think that's very significant because nobody really has competed very well with Microsoft in the PC operating system. So... That's somewhat interesting to me. And also, uh, Apple, you probably know, is also developing a new operating system called Snow Leopard, which is supposed to be considerably more efficient and uh, smaller. I think the installer is like less than half the size of the previous OS. And uh, they've dropped PowerPC processing capability in it, and apparently it lightened the uh, load considerably. And uh, I've heard uh, anecdote, anecdotes of people running successfully running Pro Tools LE in Snow Leopard. Oh, really? Yeah. I think the streamlined operating system is, you know, has got to be the way. And, you know, I've been using Google 
uh, this kind of leads on to this whole idea of software as a service. You know, I mean, I use Google now as my email client and for docs and everything. And I'm so literally most of my day is spent in the web browser. I'm not, I'm, I mean, you know, outside of music production. For, mm-hmm. for, for running Sonic State, you know, all the tools are online, are, you know, are form-driven from, from administrating my site. All of the document stuff I write now is in Google Docs. All of my email is in Google, and the calendars, everything. So I'm not running any third-party applications, and I think this is just going to be happening more and more and more. And in, in some ways, you know, there are going to be, we're going to end up with web browser interfaces to hardware synths as well, because you just come straight in and you, can, you don't need... All this other stuff—it just has some. It just has to have a kind of IP address, and you can get in there and kind of make a graphical editor for it. It's quite—I think there's going to be a really big shift over the next couple of years on how all this stuff works. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, well, so Google, cloud, Google cloud computing, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. with the cloud. I'm down with the cloud. I mean, it's no good for. It's not going to be any good for like high DSP real time stuff, but uh, it's pretty hot for everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Windows Seven, anyway. Um, uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm not sure when it's coming out. Isn't it um, September or November? I forget. I think there's speculation think, as to when it might. I come think out. it's not until March of 2010. Oh, right. Actually, okay. the, yeah. yeah. And uh, they say that the Google Chrome um, OS isn't going to be coming out until probably the end of 2010. So we've got a little way to go yet. But I mean, they generally let all their stuff out into the open, don't they? So. So, you know, we'll be able to see that. It'd be interesting to to know whether people are going to start writing stuff in it. I mean, I guess. I guess it's going to have it's, it, it's. I don't know what it's going to have as a core. It'd probably be Java core, I'd imagine, or JavaScript. Hmm. Anyway, we're getting uh, we're getting beside ourselves. So, uh, but that's that's probably the last of our topics and a good place to end in the cloud. I feel just feel somehow <laughs> sort of ephemeral and uh, and summary or something like that. So, uh, uh, we unless anybody has anything further to add or any final comments to make, um, we can bring this episode of Sonic Talk number one hundred and thirty-seven down, down from the cloud and into the end game. So that's a terrible metaphor to an end. <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much, everybody in the chat room for joining us. Um, we've had a good bumper uh, amount. Uh, remember, if you haven't already been there and checked it out, uh, we're going to have we've got a live chat. Uh, which happens simultaneously to the recording of this show, which you can be found at sonicstate.com forward slash live at 4pm UK time on a Wednesday, which is when we usually do it. And um, what else? Oh, yeah, if you've got any topics that you want to suggest on it, sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Send us an email or uh, the Skype handle sonictalk. Um, there's an answer phone on that. Just leave us a message and we'll be happy to play it in the show. Just interact with us. We're needy that way, or at least I am. And uh, anyway, thank you very much to my local guests uh, who are sort of local but uh, spread internationally at the same time. Uh, I'll say thank you very much to PJ Tracy uh, from Minneapolis. Thanks for joining us this week. Oh, thank you so much for having me. PJTracy.com is where you can find Got any other ones you want to plug? You on Twitter or anything? You want anybody to follow you? Uh, I am not currently on Twitter, no, but uh, if anybody wants to uh, check up on me on Facebook, uh, please feel free. Okay, cool. And uh, Rich Hilton from Connecticut, uh, where I guess you'll probably be off to work and um, ensconced in in a world of software and hardware recording, and uh, as is your want. Yes, it's been a uh, melodyne romance lately. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that because uh, it's an, uh, as an effect or because it's a repair job? It's <laughs> now we go back to that conversation. Exactly how I did it. I'd be happy to tell you about that. Let's forget. Let's forget. I said that. 
<laughs> okay, I'm happy to point. talk all about exactly what I did. Uh, but just not to who, to whom and why. <laughs> An application of the philosophy. Fantastic. There go, right there. Brilliant. Well, Rich, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, always, always, always appreciate it. Uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And uh, finally, the thanks to Dave Spears from g4software.com. Thank you for joining us too. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Roland.co.uk and Loopmasters.com. And remember, um, check out the Juno DI. And also, uh, if you want some free stuff from Loopmasters, check out some samples. Email freestuff at sonicstate.com and check out what they've got at Loopmasters.com. Right, that's it. Sonic Talk number 137 is finito. Couldn't live